And today we're going to kind of continue the conversation and a little bit of a different angle on this whole topic of following the way of Jesus. But before I dive in, I was reminded this week in preparing for the message, when I was a kid, um, I still love the ocean. I love to go to the ocean. Uh, I'm excited for the summertime to bring my kids to the beach. And I remember as a young child, one of my first times in the ocean, and I was out swimming, enjoying the water. Maybe this happened to you. And the next thing I do is I looked up, I came up out of the water, and I realized I was about 200 yards from the shore. And have you experienced this? Like the current, the undercurrent began to pull me out. And I got a little bit concerned because I was a young boy, and I'm like, man, this is like, I'm like way out here now. And thankfully, there was this rope that was anchored to the ocean floor that I could grab hold of and pull, me, pull myself back into shore. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of the, the, the current that was in the water, the reality is that in 2023, this is true for all times, there is a current in our culture that is pushing and pulling against us, whether we realize it or not. Would you agree? That there is a narrative, there are ideologies, there are philosophies that are, that are constantly being uh, maneuvering throughout, throughout all of history and, and including today. And there are times the cultural current will be leaning more towards the ways of Christ. Uh, it's happened throughout history. A good case in point, I, I think this, this has been a good thing in recent years, is culturally speaking here in our Western culture in America, uh, we have become more aware there's been more attention placed upon the racial injustice in our country. And how many of you know our God is a God of justice? Amen? That's a good thing. But then there are times the cultural current will pull us away from the ways of Christ. Commonly right now, one of the things that we see in our culture is a redefinition of marriage and family and gender and sexuality. Please hear this, because some of you just got really uncomfortable. Why did I come to church today? This was not the day to bring my friend. Listen, I want you to hear this and write this down, because I don't know what your church background is. But our calling as the church is not to condemn culture. Can I get an amen? Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. So I don't know about you, but if he didn't come to condemn, what you doing condemning? He says, I came to save the world. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you should be grateful because that means you. <laughs> so listen, but, but, let me give you the other side. We have to be aware of the cultural current that's happening. Because if not, we as followers of Christ can be pushed and pulled into ways, into, into decisions, into lifestyle that we're like, how did I get here? Or how did we get here? And listen, when we are pulled away from the ways of Christ and to the ways of culture, to the ways of the kingdom of darkness, that way, John 10 tells us this, the words of Jesus. The enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy you. He does it deceptively. He does it in a manner in which um, you don't know he's doing it. In fact, let me just say this. Some of the talk about redefining of gender and sexuality, it'll be framed as if this is all done in love. And our God is love. He is also a God full of grace and truth. Can I get an amen? And I want us to understand this. God wants the very best for us. So today, 
Here's my hope, is to make us aware of the cultural currents that are surrounding us, that's been surrounding the Christianity, the church, and Jesus himself for years now. And how do we respond as followers of Jesus in these moments of full of, to be full of grace and truth? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's truly a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Today, as we open it up, God, we pray that, uh, Father, we know you want to speak to us. So we just posture our hearts and our spirits to receive what you have for us. Remove anything that could distract us from receiving your truth today. It's in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Matthew 4, Matthew 4, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 4. Uh, let me give you a little bit of context. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was just baptized by John. And then in Matthew 4, uh, what we go into next is Jesus is tested in the wilderness. He is led by the Spirit into the, the wilderness. And then what happens right after this moment that we're going to read is Jesus recruit, recruits his disciples. And then he starts his public ministry. In fact, Matthew 5 is the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, but let's start Matthew 4. We're going to look, verse 1. Uh, about 10 scriptures today. It says this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. On a side note, it's so important if you are a follower of Jesus to know the word of God. Jesus did not combat Satan with some persuasive argument. He said, it is written. It is written. It is written every time. The devil then took him to the holy city, had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in your hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. We actually, the devil quotes scripture. But he misquotes scripture. That's why it's important. We know scripture. So we understand when he's misquoting scripture to us. He leaves out a portion of this scripture from, some, from Psalms. Jesus answers him. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil now took him to the high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus faces three temptations from Satan in this moment. And the three temptations that actually John references in 1 John, I want to read those to you. The three temptations we, we still face today. Here's 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world. Now some of you, maybe you're new to the Bible, could be thinking, wait a minute, didn't the Bible also say for God so loved the world? <laughs> What John is speaking to here is not people. He's speaking about the, the ways of the world, sin. So don't, don't love the world or anything in the world. For anyone who loves the world, or you could just put sin, love, love for the Father is not in them. Here it comes. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, temptation one. The lust of the eyes, temptation two. And the pride of life, temptation three. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And if you're grateful for that, can you say amen? amen. 
Because of Jesus, we can live forever. I want to talk today about each of these three temptations that we face and our modern uh, expression of these temptations that are not just things that I've came up with, but theologians are discussing and have written about. And I want to give a little bit of pre-warning. Today's message is PG-13, if you have little ones in the room. Uh, Not because of Jeremy's words, but because of the word of God. (laughs) So we are today going to talk about, first, is the lust of the flesh. And our modern expression of this is sex. Take a deep breath. It's going to be okay. Some of you are like, thank God, I was waiting for this message. Some of you are wondering or thinking, how can I get out of here right now? Sexual temptation. How, how, so how do we combat? What's the antidote to lust of the flesh? Here's point one. Is we have to feed our spirits. We have to feed our spirits. So the devil comes and says, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So he says, Jesus, why don't you use your divine power to satisfy your physical appetites? Because in this moment, that physical appetites were, culturally speaking, that it kind of was what ruled. Uh, and how many of you know when it comes to sex, sexual, sexual appetites can be rather strong? Has anyone noticed that? <laughs> that? That he's saying, listen, why don't you use your power to go ahead? And let me also give you context. It was believed in that culture at that time that magicians could, could take physical substances and turn them into food. So here's what Satan is tempting him with. Jesus, why don't you conform your way to the way of culture? Why don't we fit how you do things into how we like to do things? And may I submit to you that in our culture today, we see, especially in recent years, a pull, a temptation to take the eternal, infallible, authoritative words of God and conform them into a more digestible format for the ways of our culture. So much so that even in the church, there are some Christians who might think to themselves, so you're telling me I have to wait to have sex until I'm married? It's kind of archaic, don't you think? Or you're telling me I'm only to have sex with one person my whole life? Or you're to tell me that I'm only supposed to have sex with one person my entire life and they're supposed to be of the opposite gender? And listen, when we look at the truth of the word of God, and yes, his context for sex, let me be clear, is between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. But listen, this is not because God wants to oppress us. It's because actually God wants to bless us. And sometimes we can misperceive it. In fact, people even might hear this teaching and think, oh, that's, you're trying to oppress me, or that's hateful. I would just submit to you, you're missing the heart of God. God doesn't give us instruction to be a burden to us, but to bless us. If you believe that, can you say amen? And we're gonna see, not just from scripture, but from research, when we confuse, here's how the enemies work too in our culture. We have in our culture, we identify by our sexuality. Can I tell you, regardless of, of your sexual appetites, uh, listen, we're not here to condemn. Regardless of your sexual appetites, you are not defined by your sexuality. You are defined as a child of God. So regardless of what your appetites might say, they do not define you. 
but you are a beloved child of God. Can I get an amen? So we see in this moment the enemy is tempting, and we will be tempted, but we believe that God's word is the word of life, and we will not conform God's infallible, eternal word of God to the contemporary culture to be more digestible. Because if we do so, here's the heart of it, church. I want you to hear this. God's not up in heaven being like, I gotta be right. No, he's saying, I want to give you life. And when we take things out of his context, we don't experience his best for our life. In fact, Paul to the Thessalonian church wrote this. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. There's two words. Sexual immorality is the word in the Greek, pornea, or we get the word pornography. Pornea is any sexual expression outside of marriage. I have people ask me, Pastor, how about this kind of sex? Yes, any sex. You can, you know, any type of sexual expression outside of marriage in one man, one woman, is sexual immorality, biblically speaking. Each of you should learn to control your own body. We'll get to that. In a way that's holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians, flee sexual morality. That word flee in the Greek, you can basically translate, you run like you stole something. We're new dog owners in the Burroughs household. We're a weekend, so I feel pretty proud of myself right now. He's, he's still, he, I think he likes us. Um, and we, we love him. So Toby, he's a golden doodle, and in a typical golden retriever personality, anybody else your dog's like this? He loves to steal our socks. Anybody else you have? Like, he, he sees that laundry door open. He's like watching. He's like, yeah, do, do, do. Boom. He runs, grabs a sock, runs back to his crate. I'm like, bro, I saw you, okay? You're the only one on four legs in here, okay? And he loves, in fact, when I try to put my socks on, he tries to bite them off my feet. I don't know why he loves, I don't know what it is. Maybe if you're a veterinarian, he can inform me. But come on, here's what Paul says. You should flee sexual immorality. I mean, you should run from sexual immorality like Toby runs with a sock in his mouth. <laughs> Get up out of there. Here's why Paul says, because sexual immorality is the only sin. I want you to catch this. Write this down. The Bible says sexual immorality is the only sin that's a sin against your very own personhood. So I think it's no mistake the enemy is convincing people that I am my sexuality because you're actually, you're actually sitting against yourself. So Paul speaks sternly to the Corinthian church. Here's what was happening in Corinth. Corinth had a temple to, to the goddess of sex, Aphrodite. And there were temple prostitutes where you could go into the temple and fulfill whatever fantasy you wanted to fulfill with these temple prostitutes. And that began to creep into the church. And he was saying, no, as a people of God, we are called to flee sexual morality. As a people of God, we are called to live sanctified. That word for control is the word container. So I was thinking about container, I was thinking about fire. A fire contained can heat a whole house, can cook food. Come on, anybody else, you're ready for grilling season? Come on, somebody. But listen, a fire uncontained will burn down a house. God, listen, and I want you to hear this. The enemy did not create sex, he just perverted it. God created sex. 
And I want you to write this down. This is for, listen, God created sex not just for procreation, although that's part of it, but also for pleasure. Read the Bible. Some of you are about to take notes for the first time in church ever, all right? <laughs> in Proverbs, it says, husbands, enjoy the wife of your youth. This is in the Bible. May her breast satisfy you always. In the Bible. Some of you are like, I'm, honey, I'm reading the Bible now. Read the Song of Solomon, it will blow your mind what it says in the Bible. So listen, some of you are like, you know what, for the first time, Pastor, I'm going to apply your message. <laughs> but listen, you're supposed to enjoy sex, watch this, in God's context. But sex outside of his context is like an uncontained fire. In fact, don't just take my word for it. Look at, let's look at research. The Journal of Sex Research. 2016, looked at female and, college, female and male college students who were engaging in casual sex. And they found that casual sex was positively associated with symptoms of depression, anxiety, and stress. One year later, they did a study focused specifically on females at this time. They found it's associated with an increase of psychological distress and alcohol and drug consumption. The Apostle Paul said many years ago, Sexual sin is a sin against your personhood. What does the research show us? It's hurting us, church. Fight the New Drug, an organization that is, is helping people get free from pornography. Because pornography is, many of you know this, it's, it's, it's rampant. They found that, an, they did four different peer-reviewed studies. They found a positive association between pornography consumption and depression, anxiety, loneliness, lower life satisfaction, and poorer self-esteem. That we find that sex outside of God's context is destructive. And please hear this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Can I get amen? So if you are one of the many people, 91% of people have looked at pornography. So if you're one of the 91% or the one of the many who's engaged, there is no condemnation. My hope is to reveal the hand of the enemy so we can walk in freedom. We can walk in God's blessing. Can I get an amen? amen. And I myself, before I came to Christ, I made these mistakes that I just listed. So please hear from me. You're not gonna hear this like judgment or condemnation. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll be inspired by God's word. Let me get practical. So like, pastor, what am I supposed to do by this? Let me get real practical for this. Is, is in Song of Solomon, it says to not, to not stir up these passions until it's right time, which is right time in God's word is marriage. So Song of Solomon says, hey, don't, don't feed that appetite. So here's my challenge for you is, is be mindful, be sensitive to the times that your appetite for sex, especially outside of God's context, is stimulated. So, Meaning it could be as simple as this. Like, just, I'm still human. <laughs> you will be tempted. Can I free somebody up? <laughs> Don't beat yourself up over temptation. That's the enemy. You will be tempted. I'm still tempted. Even times I've watched a show, a show that wasn't blatantly sinful. It wasn't like rated TVMA or anything crazy. It was just a normal show. But as I was watching this show on Netflix, it had some scenes that just started to stimulate those appetites. So I felt the Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, which a conviction of the Holy Spirit is to help save you from yourself, to turn it off. Why? I didn't want to stimulate those appetites. 
Be mindful of what you're feeding yourself. Can I just say this too? I had someone once ask me, you know, hey, pastor, I'm trying to get free of, of some sexual morality in my life. And I, as he was sharing the, what he was feeding on, is be, things he was feeding on and watching, can I just say this? The shows you watch, the music you listen to, it is shaping you. Whether or not you realize it, it's shaping you. It's like saying this, hey, eat whatever you want. doesn't affect you. We would all say, that's ridiculous. We know and know research. But can I say this, church? You can't just say I can watch whatever I want and it not affect you. Please hear this. I'm not saying that's the law for you. You need to only watch certain kind of shows. But here's my submission to you is be sensitive when the Holy Spirit's like, ah, oh, you know, maybe I shouldn't watch that sex scene. Ah, oh, maybe I shouldn't watch this. Maybe I shouldn't listen to that music that's talking about this to check their spirit. Here's what Tim Keller says. He wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, all about sex, money, and power. And he says this. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around in it in this way. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. Christians came along and gave practically nobody their body and practically gave everybody their money. That we're called to live as followers, to be stingy with our bodies. Matthew 4, then, he responds in verse 4. How does he respond to him? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's the good news. Whatever you will starve in your life will die. So maybe you've been feeding that appetite. If you starve it, it will weaken over time. And then whatever you feed will thrive. So what does Christ say? No, I'm not gonna stimulate my physical appetite. I'm gonna, I live off of every word from the mouth of God. That we feed our spirits. So I would encourage you, is the, what you're doing today, I commend you. You're feeding your spirit. You're sitting under the teaching of the word of God in the presence of God. You feed your spirit. Read the word. Man, join a community group. Get around the people of God. Feed your spirit. Get into a faith in life course. Feed your spirit. When you're at home, bring your worship from Sunday into Monday. Listen to worship music instead of other kind of music. I'm not, again, this is thus says the Lord. I'm just trying to give you some inspiration of how you can feed your spirit. Paul said this in Galatians 5, 16. So I say, walk by the spirit and you won't gratify the desires of your flesh. God doesn't want us to live a lifestyle of sin management. He wants us to live a life and life more abundantly. Can I get an amen? So we feed our spirits. Paul, or David wrote this. How can a young man, Psalm 119.9, or young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Let me say one last thing about sex, and then you can breathe, and we'll move on. <laughs> hey, if you're married, the last thing the enemy wants is for you to have a great sex life. Hey, so married people, cultivate. Now, in fact, the research shows, I won't go, but it shows a lot of couples struggle with this. So don't feel condemnation. But cultivate a healthy sex life. Stimulate some romance. Like, make sure you're carving time out in your life to, to have that time together because it's important. Listen, God created sex for a context so you can enjoy all the sex you want. And all the married people said, amen, all right. We'll move on, we'll move on. The second temptation is the lust of the eyes. Some of you, some of you might say a little uncomfortable, though, because our modern equivalency of this uh, is money. 
you're like, oh, pastor, sex and money? Are you kidding me? I know, I know. But it's not me. It's just the scriptures. Lust of the eyes. The Satan takes the, the, Jesus to the top of the, 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 the mountain and says, look at the splendor of the world. And I can give you these if you bow down and worship me. Meaning I can give you all that you want without sacrifice. You know, each one of these temptations overpromise and underdeliver. Every one of them. And money is no different. The lust for money, the more. The word greed in the Greek literally means a longing for more in our life. And we live in a culture of more. That may I say this? We have been conditioned in our Western culture for discontentment. Would you agree? If you go out today, you leave, this, you leave the Bethesda Hotel, you leave church, and you go to Bethesda Row, go to your favorite shop and buy something, you'll come home, you pick up your phone, you check your email, and you'll have an email from that store with its next sale and $10 of cash rewards. <laughs> Why? Man, because, listen, one outfit's great. Woo, but another outfit is better, right? You, 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 you get a new car. How many know that dealership in six to 12 months? They're gonna be reaching out to you. Uh, hello, Mr. Burroughs. I have great news for you. Yes, that vehicle that you owe money on, you could trade that in for a brand new car. You've experienced this? More. Never be satisfied. In fact, that's why they say, the, the, I read this uh, report from this week in 2022, they found that uh, regardless, various income statuses, so 64% of all Americans, they reported, are living paycheck to paycheck, and 51% of those who make six figures or more. Now, we live in an expensive area here in the D.C. area, but that was nationwide. Because have you noticed this? Sometimes when you make more money, you spend more money because we're conditioned to be discontent. Or come on, you just remodel the kitchen, and then you watch, dang, Chip and Joanna Gaines. And you're like, oh, I got to remodel the bathroom now. <laughs> Why? Because we're conditioned for discontentment. I hope this free you up to see it. It's not, it's not like just you. It's all around us. And we have to guard ourselves against it. Because here's what Ecclesiastes 5.10. One of the wealthiest men in all of history, Solomon, King Solomon, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth will bring true happiness. And have you realized this? The more, it's, it's, it's never enough, right? Like maybe you can think back, maybe some years ago, you're like, man, once I make this income, oh, then I'll be good. And then you make that income. Then you're like, man, if I just made 10,000 more, or man, once I have this much money in my bank account, man, then, I'll, then I'll be good. Then you get there and you're like, ah, oh, I spent that in the bathroom remodel. So if I had a little more, <laughs> right? It reminded me this week, uh, we took Toby to the vet. And so I was trying to be a good dog dad the first two days. Like my boy was, he's a puppy, right? He was eating. So I was like, oh, he's eating? I'll feed him more. You want more? I'll feed you more. You're not trying to be a good dad. And the vet was like, stop, don't feed your dog. He'll, she said, if you keep feeding your dog, your dog will literally eat himself sick. Can I say this in our Western culture? We have a propensity to spend ourselves sick. 
that we will put ourselves in consumer debt. Now listen, there are times and seasons of life where unexpected bills, health issues, all those things happen. Please, again, no condemnation. It's just to make us aware to be careful that our discontentment does not drive us to overextend ourselves. That's why it's no surprise one of the leading causes of stress and divorce in America on marriages is financial stress. It's the more, the lust for more that can get to all of us. So what do we do? Let's heed the words of Paul, 1 Timothy 6, 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Paul said, I know what it's like to, which Paul was a fairly wealthy man as a Jewish teacher of the law. And then when he came to Christ and he experienced persecution, he actually at some points ended up living in poverty. And he says at one point in the scripture, I know what it's like to be wealthy. I know what it's like to be poor. But I've learned the secret of life, to be content in all circumstances. Here's why that's critical. Because ultimately, God wants us to live a life of generosity. It's all throughout the Bible. But listen, it's hard to be generous if we are caught up in the cultural conditioning of discontentment because then we constantly overextend ourselves. And listen, we need margin in order to be generous. I've met Christians who desire to be more generous, but they can't. So what we have to do is we have to have a godliness, right living, with contentment. And that word contentment literally means that you find your sufficiency not in your 401k, not in what your income is, but you find your sufficiency in Christ. He, listen, The greatest form of financial security you can have is when you acknowledge God is my source, I am not. God is my source, my employer is not. God is my source, the government is not. Because when you realize he is truly Jehovah Jireh, he will give you a security, no one, no amount of money, no possession, no car, no house can give you. So I want you to hear me. God's not saying I don't want you to have things. And let me say this. God has no problem with money. He's got no problem with you being wealthy at all. It's the love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people miss out that part. and They think, well, well, money's evil. Money's not evil at all. It's the love. It's the lust for more. Proverbs 21, 25, what is right living when it comes to our finances? The Bible tells us this. The plan of the diligent will surely lead to profit. Do you have a plan for your money? That's a biblical, biblical wisdom is to have a plan for your money. There's one I heard years ago. If you don't have a plan, which meant the financial app said 61% of Americans don't know where their money ends up at the end of the month. Come on, I've been there. You ever had more month than money? You're like, who stole my money? Who spent this money? (laughs) It's only the 24th of the month. 61% of Americans say that's where they are. Have a plan. There's, there's a simple plan. If you don't have one, some of you, you're, you're, you're financial wizards and you have your own plan. Man, have a plan. There's no ideal plan. But what I heard years ago was a 10-10-80 principle. 10% you give away. We'll get to that generosity. 10% you save. The Bible says the, the wise store up, save. Then 80% you live off of. Here's what that means. I'm about to step on some toes, but I do it very gently. That might mean in order for you to experience God's best in your finances, you may have to lower your standard of living. Because God's desire for you, more than he wants you to raise your standard of living, is to raise your standard of giving. Because the Bible says the generous will prosper. 
You want real life? Live a generous life. But you can't live a generous life if you live an overextended life financially and you end up with more month than you have money and you're one of the 61% that end up finding themselves living in debt. Again, please hear this, no condemnation, but hear that God has better for us. Paul said in Philippians 4, 16, not that I desire your gifts, but what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. A lot of times we can, we can that, that last scripture, 419, is a great one to hold on to, right? But let me give you context. The reason Paul says, my God will meet all of your needs was because the Philippian church just gave generously to Paul's ministry. So Paul says, hey, because God saw you care about him, God's gonna take care of you. My God will meet all of your needs. And 2 Corinthians says the same thing. He says, God provides seed for the sower and he provides, uh, he enriches us on every occasion so that we can be generous on every occasion. But we have to acknowledge God is our source so we can live generous. I love what Tim Keller says. If you have money, power, and status today, it is due to the century and place in which you were born, to the talents and capacities and health. Watch this. None of which you earned. Thank you for encouraging us, Pastor Tim. (laughs) Here's what he says. You didn't earn it, so it's not yours. It's his. And if it's his, that means I am not my primary financial advisor. He is. So that I look to what does God's word have to say about his money? Because my money is his money. So I'm going to say, hey, God, what do you want me to do? You want me to plan, you want me to save, and you want me to live generously. Here's my practical challenge for you. Is what is your, some of you in this, in this room, are incredibly generous. In fact, you are an incredibly generous church. But I wanna challenge you in this. Is, is what next step could God be calling you to take when it comes to your generosity? Because here's what you're gonna find. Maybe some of you in the room, you've never taken a step in generosity. You know, I was reminded yesterday, my daughter came downstairs yesterday morning and she wanted to give, she has this big like dollhouse in her room. And out of the blue, she was like, mom and dad, I wanna give my dollhouse to Abby. So Abby was like, man, Abby, Abby right now is on like top of the world. She's got a new dollhouse. Um, but Hannah came down kind of excited. Like kind of, you could tell she was like, Dad, I want to give her my dollhouse. What she was experiencing is what researchers call the helper's high. Cleveland Clinic in 2020 found that actually when you give, gift-giving behavior releases dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. They're all feel-good chemicals. Here's my challenge to you. Let's get high today, church. Come on, a far better high than any reefer or ganja. Some of you are like, what's ganja? Don't worry. I'm speaking to those of you who know what ganja is. Can I tell you this, church? Listen, listen. The enemy wants us to be conditioned for discontentment. So we spend more than we have. So we have no margin to be generous. So we don't live high. That is how he still kills and destroys us. 
because even the times we feel inspired to be generous, we can't be generous. And we miss out on all that God has for us. But here's my challenge for you, is take a step in generosity. Maybe some of you, it's giving for the first time. Saying, God, I'm gonna trust you. Just talk to God. God, how would you have me take a next step? For some of you, becoming a consistent giver. The Bible says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion, meaning never feel pressure, which you'll never feel like here at Catalyst. But man, God loves a cheerful giver and be a planned out giver, be a consistent giver. Some of you, you've been a consistent giver. Become what the Bible calls a tither. It's the first 10%. We believe biblically that's the foundation point, but we know it can take some time to get there. Or maybe those of you, and many of you live on this range, the, the ideal place God wants all of us to be is an extravagant giver. Remember Tim Keller's quote? The church practically gave everybody their money and no one their body. <laughs> and we're called to be a generous people. So how do we deal with the lust of the eyes? As we learn, we pursue contentment. Here's the last point. And don't worry, it's not about sex or money. It's the pride of life. And the antidote to the pride of life is submission to Christ. So the enemy takes Jesus to the highest point of the temple. And he's tempting him to become the chief priest. Hey, I can make you the chief priest, Jesus. But Jesus from the Father had already become the high priest. He says, well, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. Like, demonstrate your power to us, Jesus. Let me see it. He's tempting him with power and influence. See, the enemy maybe forgot that the government sits on his shoulders, that the earth is his footstool, that he is the king of all kings, that he is the Lord of all lords. The enemy will always tempt you to forsake God's promise for momentary pleasure. Always. That's how he causes pain. Man, give in for a little bit of pleasure, whether it's sex, possessions, or power, or influence or success, and Jesus resists him. James 3.16 says this, for wherever there's jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and evil of every kind. I've heard some say that pride is the most destructive sin. It's the foundational sin because it's the sin that got the devil kicked out from heaven as an angel. And that pride is almost this sin that undergrids, undergirds every other sin, right? It's prideful to say, I'm going to manage money how I want to manage it without considering God. It's prideful to say, I'm going to live with my sexuality how I want to live without considering God. Pride is simply this. Pride is trusting in your way more than you trust in God's way. Please hear this. God wants... Write this down. If you get nothing else out of this, write this down. God actually wants more for you than you can actually conceive yourself. God is a good father. The Bible says he does good and what he do, and who, he is good and what he does is good. We just, the second song we were singing, what does it say? His goodness follows after us. He wants good for you. Try trying to withhold from you, church. But he's got a, a way of, of living he wants for us to live. But here's the good news. Selfish ambition becomes sanctified ambition when we submit it to God. God's got no problem with ambition. He's got no problem with you having success. But when success has your heart, when it becomes self-seeking, 
That's when it becomes destructive. The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction. It goes before the fall. It's trusting in your own way above God's way. Pride looks like knowing I'm supposed to forgive but holding on to bitterness. Pride looks like judging someone else for their sin while neglecting to repent of my own sin. Pride is thinking I'm better than somebody else because of my achievement or education or background. Pride is thinking primarily of myself while neglecting the needs of others around me. So what do we do? Verse 10, Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That word worship is the Greek word proskenal. It means to lay prostrate. It means to surrender. That we submit to God. We surrender to God. We surrender to God, this important church, because he sacrificed everything for us. He gave, like God gave his son for us so we could have eternal life. So we res- respond in surrender. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Seems like a contradiction of terms, doesn't it? Like, okay, if I give up my life, I actually find true life. But it's exactly true. That true satisfaction comes through surrender to Jesus, comes through submission to God. We find true satisfaction and fulfillment when we live as he wants us to live, when we embrace his way in our life, when we pray, when we forgive, when we serve, when we worship, when we pursue holiness, when we are generous. You know, as I was thinking about sex, money, success, and how in our culture, in the words of Tim Keller, they're counterfeit gods. I was running years ago, I went to Canal Street in New York. If you've been to Canal Street, you know they sell a lot of the knockoff brands. You know what I'm talking about? Get the knockoff Gucci bag. Like, oh, that Gucci bag is on sale, 85%. You buy that Gucci bag? Come on, you been there? You come home, seven months later, the Gucci bag strap breaks because it ain't a Gucci bag. (laughs) Right? You got a Gucci bag at a discount. So what you thought it would provide, it didn't provide. Can I tell you? Sex, money, power are knockoff Gucci bags. They satisfy you for a moment. Oh, I felt good. My income just increased. The pool for more. I'm dissatisfied. Or you have a one-night stand or you have whatever it might be. Oh, man, I feel good for a moment. And it comes back down. You have success. You get more influence. You have more power. feels good for a moment. Here's why, church. Lasting satisfaction can only come through submission to Christ. That's it. And not because he wants to oppress you or withhold from you. Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. I close with this quote. The worship team can come. Tim Keller said this. The only way we can free ourselves from the destructive influence of counterfeit gods is to turn back to the true one. The living God who revealed himself both at Mount Sinai and on the cross. The only Lord who, if you find him, man can truly fulfill you. And watch this. And if you fail him, can truly forgive you.
I speak with passion and conviction this morning, not because, just because of the word of God, but because I have failed in all three of these areas in my life before. And I have tasted and seen that they overpromise and underdeliver. But I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He never fails. He never lets you down. He always satisfies. As the scripture says, as a deer pants for water, oh my soul. Oh church, whether or not you realize that your soul's actually panting for the Savior, is panting for God, and fulfillment, satisfaction can only be found in him. And here's the good news, and I wanna encourage you with this. If you're like me, and maybe, maybe for you, it's not just in the past you failed. Maybe right now, one of these three areas, you're, you feel like, I'm missing it. The Bible says this, not only is there no condemnation in Christ, 1 John says this, if you confess your sin, oh, this is good news. He is willing and able to forgive you of all sin. And watch this, and purify you of all unrighteousness. So we just simply say, Jesus, you're the one who's perfect. I come back to you, God. I need your help. With that said, I wanna pray for you, church. Can you bow your heads with me?